Hi everybody, I'm Amelia Easley and you are listening to the Sustainability of podcast. I'm currently studying environmental studies and international business at Santa Clara University. Each episode breaks down a company or product and its sustainable practices. I'm your one-stop shop for learning about everything sustainability related. Hi everyone, today I'm so thankful to be chatting with Sarah Weinreb, business and sustainability strategist, writer, and herbalist. Sarah supports mission-driven entrepreneurs building businesses that focus on social and environmental impact, and she also advises brands looking to integrate sustainability into their work. She's previously consulted Eileen Fisher's women-owned business grant program, which is super cool. And she also hosts a podcast called Medium Well, which is all about Sarah's goal to explore spirituality, mindfulness, sustainability, and more, and her journey in becoming the best version of herself. She's contributed to articles on Mind Body Green, Forbes, USA Today, and, and far more. When reading her bio, I also noticed that she's an avid plant lady, like (laughs) myself. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. And instead of starting off with your background in sustainability, let's briefly chat about your interest in plants and your favorite house plants. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to be here. Uh, My favorite house plants. Hmm. I mean, I do love my Monstera plant, which I feel like is a little like trendy and a typical answer, but they are really beautiful. Um, Also, pothos plants, which are the ones that kind of drape down and hang. I mean, they're all the ones you see on Instagram, but they're so beautiful. But I just love any any plant that surrounds me and my space. Me too. My favorite, I think, is I have this Hoya carii, which Mm. is a heart-shaped one. And that's got to be my favorite because it's just so cute. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, now I digress. Can we talk about your professional background and, oh, excuse me, what got you interested in sustainability and sustainable business consulting? So I don't really have a direct answer. I, it's kind of a winding road, but I would say my um, really personal and professional interest in sustainability came about with um, alongside my interest in ethical fashion. So I always loved fashion and my friend started a ethical fashion company. And at the time I realized that um, my fashion habits, which were mostly shopping at Forever 21 and H&M and kind of acquiring mass amounts of cheap junk, um, did not align with my passion for, you know, like making the world, I hate the word making the world a better place. We need a better term for that. But, you know, I had a whole career in nonprofit work and I was really values driven, mission driven. And I just had this like realization one day, oh my gosh, the way I shop is not aligned with that at all. Um, so I committed to only shopping from ethical fashion and sustainable fashion brands or buying secondhand, um, which led me about a year later. Uh, that was about 2014. and 2015, I decided to launch my own ethical fashion store, which was called Imbi. Um, I was a retailer that sold all American-made, sustainably made mix and match items from different um, small ethical fashion brands. And I just loved doing that. Um, I didn't love retail, which is why I closed it, but I loved the work. I loved the community. I loved the questions we were asking. And by way of curating those clothes, by way of picking what I wanted to have in my shop and really nailing down my values, I just started learning more and more about sustainability in the fashion space and then beyond really building a brand that um, embodies the values and lifestyle that my customer wanted and that I wanted, which was to be really intentional in everything we consume 
everything from you know physical products to food to media and beyond. So that's really where my sustainability interests deepen from. Um, and when I pivoted my business away from selling clothes into how can I continue this work, but without having physical items, it kind of naturally translated, um, given my also my previous background in supporting entrepreneurs and launching businesses. That was my last full-time job. I was working at an accelerator program, um, helping social entrepreneurs um, launch businesses on a mission to do good. So I kind of combined it all into what I do now. That is so cool. I always think about... Um, Whenever you think of sustainable businesses, it's really just retail that comes to mind. And so I really appreciate that you were able to take a different spin on it and realize that retail wasn't um, where your interests lie because I feel the same way. I think, you know, well, what about what, what else is there? What can I learn more about sustainability rather than just selling things? And so I think that that's super cool and I admire that very much. I think sustainable business and the idea of having a sustainable business is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, anything we do, whether it's business or the way we live our life or whatever, has some kind of impact on this planet. So whether you're selling a physical product or, you know, you're a McKinsey, a giant consulting agency that has a lot of employees and potentially a lot of copy makers in their office and, you know, paper that needs to be disposed of and things like that, every I think business is an opportunity to do better, um, has an opportunity to do better and to influence their clients, their staff, you know, all across their supply chain, vendors, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, it can go. It really is, you know, industry agnostic and goes in so many different directions in terms of sustainability. What have you found through interviews on your podcast and also just through your own personal experience to be some of your preferred ways and tips to, I guess I'm not sure how to word this, but stay sane for lack of a better word uh, in terms of like mindfulness and things like that. And then just some easy ways to practice mindfulness. Yeah. And maybe what you're looking for is like staying present, staying embodied. And I'm not, I'm not so perfect at that. I mean, it's all such a journey, but for me, like it's, um, uh, like I've kind of done a 180 into the well in the wellness world. Like I, I very much three years ago, whenever this was four years ago, got like deep dove into the wellness world. I had a health diagnosis that really woke me up and I kind of like went along with the Instagram, like I need to put collagen in my smoothies and I need to do this and I need to do that and like do all these things that I'm seeing. And I think in terms of like stress reduction and presence and all of that, it's so much more simple than that. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong if you want to do some of those things, but it also is not necessary. So for me, it's like, you know, going for a walk outside, putting my feet in the grass, spending time with plants, surrounding myself with indoor plants, having a garden, like drinking water, which I'm terrible at, but I try to do like just breathing into moments where I'm feeling really stressed, recognizing the things that I can and cannot control. Um, all these things, many of these things are free and available to us all the time. Um, and, you know, just eating more vegetables, like things like that. I think wellness has become self-care presence. Stress reduction has become so commoditized of like, you need this expensive product. You need this CBD sparkling water. And like, those can be beautiful tools. I'm an herbalist. I love some of those things. But at the same time, it's like, really, it's all about the intention and the presence. And I think we can get really lost in those or really try to just like, well, if I buy this $75 product, of course it will 
fix the problem. And it's like, well, no, I'm an herbalist. Like no herb is going to fix your problem. Like I can give you herbs that will help you reduce anxiety or stress, but that's not going to solve like the fact that your boss is a jerk. Like you still need to deal with the underlying causes, you know? So I think that we often look for kind of these, you know, scapegoats or whatever. Um, But I think some of the simplest things are really the most powerful. Um, And like one of the the practices I return to the most is just morning journaling. I use Julia Cameron's um, morning pages, which is just a three page brain dump every morning where you just write like whatever you're feeling, whatever you want to write about. It could be like really technical, like here's my to-do list. It can be really philosophical, just whatever comes out. And I find that a really, really helpful tool to just kind of get out whatever's in my head, um, kind of self-soothe. Because if you like are stressed about something, you're at least for me, I'm way less likely to write a hundred times. I'm stressed about this upcoming workshop and um, that might be what happens in my head. I'll just repeat that over and over. Um, but when I write it out, then I'm like, well, maybe I can talk to this person. Maybe I can work on this, you know, for an hour today or whatever. And you start to figure things out. So, so, so those are some of my tools that have been really helpful to me. Yeah. It's always great to have that conversation with yourself and figure out how to to solve these problems and Mm -hmm. I think by by using the journal and then also just what I've found really really nice is having those house plants and it's just it's like a zen factor almost you don't have to do anything and you just sit around them and they're just so pretty and just the life that they give the fact that they grow and that you get to, you know, keep them growing and things like that. Anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, there's that. a lot of health benefits associated with being around plants. I mean, I've written a couple articles on forest bathing and just the research around like being in nature and how like it increases your natural killer cells, which fight cancer and, and other health you know issues. It's like insane. And that even goes, it's not as powerful, but it's, it is, there's still power in literally looking out a window at a tree. So like if you can position your office or your bedroom or whatever to look out a window. I mean, that's been shown in hospitals that that individuals with views of trees in hospitals heal much quicker. Um, it's just incredible. So the houseplants are another way that maybe you, you don't have a tree outside your window, but you can have kind of nature surrounding you. So it is, and you know, it filters the air and all those things. So in addition to the beauty, it really does have a lot of health benefits too. Yeah. I wonder what that impact would be like um, in senior living facilities and also <laughs> in jails. Like that would be crazy yeah. if they had access to, to big windows and nice views. Yeah, that's so um, true. Oh, and then also when like during quarantine, how have you been maintaining your mindfulness strategies? Has it been more difficult or has it been easier having, I guess, well, I don't know if you have more time on your hands, but just like, figuring out how to adjust your strategy and learning to cope with the fact of having to quarantine. Um, How has that been? I mean, I'm pretty, I don't know if it's lucky or unlucky, but my life hasn't changed very much. I work from home. My boyfriend works from home. I moved um, to Denver a year ago from New York City, um, mostly because, well, for many reasons, but one of the reasons was to have more space and more access to nature and you know, now we live in a house with a garden, like I have a garden. It just, it blows my mind every day that I live in a house because I lived in New York City in like tiny shoebox apartments for so long that were triple the rent of my house here. Um, so, I mean, I've been pretty lucky that 
my day-to-day really hasn't changed that much and that I have a lot of outdoor space. Like I have a nice backyard, I have the garden. So that's really allowed me to just like spend time outside without having to worry about it. Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's somewhat, even though nothing is normal now, it's like somewhat normalized this quarantine period where I'm like, at the beginning I was like, whatever, I don't need to do anything. This is just madness. I'm just going to like go with the flow. But now I've gotten back into my journaling and um, a little bit harder with like, I I am a very on, on again and off again yogi. And I was very on right before quarantine. I was like going four or five times a week to the yoga studio. And then of course this happened. I was like, really? I was on a roll. Um, so that's been, I could definitely do it from home, but I haven't been. Um, but for the most part, I'm pretty lucky in that my day-to-day is is pretty similar. I'm uh, glad. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have found, I used to go to, to Soul Cycle probably two or three times a week. And that did keep me sane far more than I ever realized. And then quarantine hit and I couldn't go and I actually had to buy a bike, a stationary bike. (laughs) I was like, I can't handle this quarantine. This is absolutely miserable. And I just had to to splurge and go for it. And it was crazy how much my mental health improved once I had that outlet. I will say that like I say my life is pretty much the same, but obviously the stress and the like uncertainty and the anxiety around first COVID and then, you know, the civil rights movement that we're in and, you know, thinking about my role in that and all of that, like that has been obviously not the same as normal. So it's like been this weird as like, like my day to day is kind of the same, but my mind is not at all the same. So I think I'm really trying to just be super kind to myself, take more breaks when I can. I mean, I have the privilege of working for myself and setting my own schedule, which I know is a massive privilege many people don't have. But like if I need to like take an hour off and like lay on the couch, I'll do that. Um, or just like even if it's in between meetings, just taking a few deep breaths and like really just trying to honor and recognize um, how heavy the moment we're in is. I mean, it's easy to kind of be like, well, we can just keep truck along, trucking along. But like, we are in a massive, like the world is in massive upheaval, like right now with both the things I mentioned then. And then of course, other civil rights um, uprising across the world and our, you know, Im- immigration crisis and just like the amount of sadness and um, hurt and pain that so many of us have felt um, or you know, by way, like I'm, I'm a very strong empath. So it's just like, it affects me so, so deeply, even though I'm super privileged that mostly doesn't affect me personally. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it is this weird balance of like, things are normal, but nothing is normal. And like, just really recognizing that and like, remembering that it's okay to like, feel really, I mean, I've had many days during the past few months that I've just woken up feeling super anxious. And I just had to like, breathe into that. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, we're, we're adjusting to living in a world that isn't normal. Yeah. And I, that's, I guess, the mindset where it's like, you know, what stupid political thing is going to happen today? Not stupid. What terrifying political yeah. thing is going to happen today? And, and it, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it makes you really question like, well, what is normal and what is a given? And like when I moved to Denver, to me, it was a given that I could fly, I'm, you know, have the privilege that I could fly home several times a year and see my friends and see my family. I was supposed to be home five times this year for weddings and family events and things like that, um, which I know if we talk about sustainability might not be the best in terms of flying, but um, 
like that was to me a given. And like now it's not a given. Like now I don't know when I'll see my family. And my sister who lives in Israel was supposed to come with her three kids for a month in the summer. And like we don't get to see them that much and she can't come. So it is like it does make you question when you said normal, like what is normal and like what do we take for granted and what do we assume to be true? Um, And that's all kind of I mean, I think it's a good thing in many senses. It's not a good thing that like I can't see my family or whatever. And many people, I mean, and those are the least of the issues. I I really want to be clear that like obviously people are really sick and, you know, suffering in so many ways right now that my issues are pretty insignificant, um, very insignificant. But it does make you wonder what do I take for granted in my life, whether that's my health, whether that's my ability to travel, whether that's um, whatever. And like, and how will this, what will things look like? if and when things get better. I guess I'll say when. Um, I'll be optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really, for me, I've just been reevaluating priorities and being like, okay, what's wonderful that is keeping me afloat right here that I can control? I think that's a big thing is determining what you can control and how that impacts your daily life. And by using those tools to, to make you feel better or make you feel less anxious. And so... (sighs) <sighs> there's a lot going on. Um, and so I guess on the on a related note with that, how have you been balancing in terms of we're about to switch toward um, how you how your business consulting um, and sustainability practices in your professional life are, but um, kind of switching gears towards that, how have you been adjusting your like with the need to support small businesses and sustainable businesses, how have you been adjusting that? Or how do I word this? Um, How have you been balancing your need to support small businesses with environmentalism when places like restaurants, for example, don't offer, um, you can't give them reusable containers to put your stuff in. Does that make sense? Things are just innately less sustainable now in terms of um, contamination and things like that. So how have you been balancing that need? And do you have any suggestions on how to go about that from a consumer perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard because there's kind of this twofold situation going on where like, in some ways, things are much better in terms of sustainability. And, you know, we're traveling less. And there's so many positive outcomes that have come from being in quarantine on the planet. Um But like my mom said to me, like, great, nobody's driving. So the planet is better. What do I do with that now that like once we can leave? Like, how do I how do we continue that? Um, And I think the question is just like, well, one, what are you learning to live without? And like if you're driving, if you're not driving so much now and you normally drive a lot, like how can you in the future be more intentional? Like I talk a lot about like batching your drives because, um, you know, there is an impact from driving. So if you can like run three errands at once or on your way home from work, stop at the grocery store or the pharmacy or the yoga studio so that, you know, wherever practical, you're not running out, you know, for a 10 minute drive constantly. Those are little things we can do. So there's like this combination of like things are better in some regard, but then, you know, like you said, there's a lot of disposables happening. Um, I mean, I kind of take a different approach than some other people, which is kind of like you have to do your best. And as somebody who promotes sustainability and wellness and mindfulness, it's like you could drive yourself crazy about all this or you can realize that like we're in a moment where like health is one of the most important things we need to be centering. Um, 
And if that means, you know, having a paper plate at a restaurant, if you're sitting outside, that's not endangering your health or the health of the staff there, like that's important. Um, So I think maybe it's just compensating in other ways. And I think um, I've been on kind of a rampage for a while to talk about other things and zero waste, because I think that that's, um, for many of us, the easiest to kind of understand, okay, I, I won't. I won't um, take a plastic fork. I'll bring my own fork or, you know, I'll bring my coffee cup, like you said, or a Tupperware or whatever. Um, Great. Those are all good things. But there's also so many, like so, so, so many other elements to sustainability. Um, And even like the word sustainability in itself is problematic because the pace that we're depleting the planet at is not sustainable, even if we just held steady, which is what sustainability is, right? Like sustaining where we are. So really, like, I've been trying to think a lot more about regenerative practices. Um, I had, do you know Camille Chain? She has the Green Dreamer podcast. She's amazing. Um, Yeah, I would definitely recommend to anybody listening if you're interested in sustainability, which it'd be weird if you're not and you're listening to this podcast, um, to follow her. She was on my podcast and she just talks, her podcast goes into every nook and cranny on different issues regarding regenerative agriculture and sustainability and like what that means for our prison industry, what it means for the military. Like we had a really interesting conversation that I never even thought about in regards to the military and funding and Um, So maybe it's just a matter of right now saying, okay, my zero waste practice might not be as strong, but like where now I have the opportunity, maybe like you said, you're at home, you have more time. Maybe I can research like two other ways that I can practice sustainability. You can listen to Camille's podcast. It's called Green Dreamer. Um, And just like one beautiful thing that I did that she recommended on my podcast is like planting, if you have space to plant, Um, even if it's just a pot. Um, and like a, a fire escape, um, but to plant wildflowers to attract pollinators and bees. And that's like a, I really loved her framing on my podcast about like how sustainability is often about like doing less, right? Like it's not using this, not using that, driving less, flying less. And it's like, well, what are the things we can do that are positive that we can add? And like, growing wildflowers is a beautiful practice that's like so important for our planet to attract and maintain those pollinators in your region. Um, that's like a relatively easy and affordable thing to do. You, I buy a package of like hundreds of wildflower seeds for five bucks at the grocery store organic. Um, and they're now starting to sprout. So anyway, it was a long-winded answer. But the question, the answer to me is like, well, just evaluating what are areas about sustainability I don't know or I've been interested in? How can I support maybe diving into regenerative agriculture and seeing what farms around you you can support? Um, so many different elements to sustainability beyond just the takeout and zero waste and all that. Well, I guess not to plug my own podcast, but <laughs> if there's any interest that you have in learning about the sustainability of a certain topic or whether that be the nail industry is something that I really want to talk about at some point, but that would be definitely something to email us about. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I, <laughs> to me, like I love the the concept of harm reduction, which is often used in, um, I worked with well, whatever, it's not relevant, but um, harm reduction is often used in um, cases of substance abusers, but it's basically like I'm a very hardcore person. Maybe some listeners are very hardcore. It's like, I can never have plastic again. But instead, harm reduction is just like, what are ways I can do a little bit better? And if everybody 
on this planet did 1% better or 10% better, ate 10% less meat, drove 10% less, like the impact of that would be so insanely powerful. And, and instead, we're just thinking about like the 100%. So I would just think about like the smaller things you can do. We can't be perfect. I don't think I very few people are perfect in terms of zero waste. And I don't think there's anybody who's perfect. I mean, I think oh, being yeah, a true. person on this planet, like uh, it's one thing that drives me crazy, which is like, great, you brought your Tupperware to the restaurant for your takeout and like you didn't use any disposables, but like you have no idea what's going on in the kitchen. Like in order to make right. that rice, it came in a plastic bag. So like mm-hmm. being a human on this planet means producing trash. And we all have to recognize that. And I think anybody who's saying otherwise or trying to promote like all their trash fits into a tiny jar or whatever has some validity, but it also is not recognizing the deeper picture. You know, same with the bulk bins at the supermarket. Like they're still being filled often with plastic bags. Um, So there's always trash. Right. That's an extreme. And we just have to normalize our, normalize the fact that sustainability should be something that everyone is striving for rather than, like, it's just, it's appalling to see sometimes we'll get groceries delivered from Whole Foods and the bananas will be in plastic bags. Yeah. I'm just so confused. Like, why? There was a cantaloupe in a plastic bag. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Do you think we're biting into the what? Like, No, I was just going to say that's another thing you could do right now. You could write letters to Whole Foods and be like, can you please stop putting my cantaloupes in plastic bags? I mean, we have the time now to kind of do more of the policy side. I mean, yes, but I also think Amazon, who's a parent company, has a lot more to worry about (laughs) in terms of their business practices, uh, in terms of sustainability than plastic bags. But yes, yes, you're right. Now is the time to be talking to legislators, especially there was the July, the remake ambassador call yesterday morning. Mm -hmm. And we talked with, um, with a garment worker who's based in L.A., and just about the the garment worker center and different um, different like policies, especially in California right now where I am, there's a policy that's going to be voted on soon. And so they were just like everyone like call your representatives, you know, find out who your person is to call an email, and it it does a surprising surprisingly more. Uh, it has a surprisingly, it's surprisingly more effective than you would think. Hmm. So definitely. Yeah. Um, So switching gears, we're going to now talk about how you do your sustainability consulting for businesses. So what does it mean to have a quote unquote sustainable business and how would one reduce the environmental impact of their business? So would that be like electricity usage, carbon emissions, um, just like what what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge question that could be a whole novel in and of itself. And there are novels on it or books on it. Um, but I think that I take in the same way that I was talking about harm reduction and you're as a consumer, that's the same approach that I take in business. So for me, um, I don't actually do tons of sustainability consulting. I do more business strategy consulting for mission driven businesses. But for the sustainability consulting I do, it's taking a look at um kind of the low hanging fruit of like, well, where can we do better? Um, So yeah, like you said, it could be a a ton of things. It depends on the business. But like, for example, I had one project where I worked with um, a herbalist who has a a product and the product uh, came in a little tin 
container and it um, the lining was plastic and the packaging came in a bubble wrapper. And so we really redesigned the packaging. We kept the tin container. We created refills um, so that you don't have to constantly get new tin containers. Um, we changed the lining to a compostable paper. We changed the packaging to be compostable, the stickers to be compostable. Um, so it was not really like radical overhaul of everything, which might not be affordable to someone like her who has a very small business. Um, but it's like, how are these, what are the little things we can do? And like, what are the things that we can start to do? And then, and then, yeah, there's just layers and layers and layers. It depends on how deep you want to go. I mean, it can look at your packaging. It can look at your shipping. It can look at your, um, office practices. Like I said, like, do you have a Keurig machine? Probably not the best. Can we switch to a drip machine or to some kind of compostable option? Um, same with like paper usage, same with, like you said, lights having a sensor so that if nobody's in the office, um, energy can like energy is, uh, reduced. I mean, there's just, the list goes on and on and on, and it really depends on the business. Um, it could do with like practices on where are you shipping your products from and to? What are the most efficient routes? Um, what type of shipping do you use? We know that two-day shipping is generally less efficient than ground shipping because it has to take maybe shortcuts to get to where it's going versus ground shipping can allow for um, a more strategic route because there's more time to get there. So, I mean, there's just so many elements, but generally where I start is just looking at like what the business offers and like where the biggest areas of waste are or energy consumption or, you know, things that would potentially not be sustainable and then starting to chip away at, um, what those options are. I mean, to, to be more sustainable. So like I worked with a friend also who has a, a coffee shop, she was opening a coffee shop and she was trying to figure out, what to do about disposables, like disposable cups. And so we came up with the idea. I mean, it's not my original idea, but I had seen in other coffee shops that she uses only glass jars and there's a deposit and you can bring back the glass jars. I mean, I like to keep the glass jars, which is probably not the most sustainable, but <laughs> I love them and I fill them with herbs at the herb shop. Um, so anyway, there's just ways to say like, well, where is the most waste coming from or the most inefficiencies um, and how can we start to chip away at those? Super cool. I never thought, or I guess that's that's a huge role to tackle, especially on your own. So that's quite impressive. And I also don't, I guess it's, it's something that I never thought about in terms of um, not creating a business that's sustainable, but rather having someone to come in and teach you ways to go about that, which is very interesting and it's a it's an option that everyone should know about rather than you know like you don't have to hire I mean you you should hire someone internally to be working on the sustainable practices of your business and business ventures but ultimately having an outside perspective is also very helpful yeah I mean I've seen that in my own business like I can teach all this stuff till I'm blue in the face but sometimes just having somebody outside of the business my business asking me questions is super helpful because it's so easy to get stuck in things when you're like, well, we've tried that before or that's not how things work and things like that. So I find it can be really helpful. I personally have found it really helpful to work with coaches and consultants um, and hopefully my clients do too. One of the questions, I did an Instagram poll about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and I asked what questions do you have for sustainable business strategies when I talked to Sarah on the podcast. 
one of my dear friends, Mackenzie Kinsella, asked, is it more sustainable for product packaging to be recyclable or compostable? I thought this was especially interesting because in our university's dining hall, all the takeaway containers are compostable and we mm-hmm. have big compost bins all across campus. Um, but I think that this is an especially great question because I I want to add on that whether making compostable you know, quote, like bioplastic containers is worth it, even if users don't have a compost bin. Oh, man, this has been one of my other rampages. Okay, so (laughs) if you have a compost bin, compost is the best way to go. Industrial compost bin. So that's important to note. Bioplastics, if you throw a plastic, a compostable plastic coffee cup in the trash, it's the same as throwing a regular plastic coffee cup in the trash. It will not break down any faster. Um, Theoretically, the beginning of life of the cup is potentially better for the planet because it's not necessarily using um, petroleum like plastic. But I will also add that some many much of the compostable bioplastics and all the things we see that are compostable, disposables, are made from things like corn, which could be a mono- um, crop that is also really, really bad for the environment and could be potentially sprayed with glyphosate and um, can be really destructive because it's kind of this monoculture. That's what I was looking for, monoculture crop where, you know, they're, they're farming the same crop on the same land, which really, really depletes the soil and can be really problematic. So even the beginning of life is questionable for some of these products. Um, but if you do have a commercial compost bin, um, my personal answer would be that compostable options are better because they'll break down into something usable in the future. Um, It gets really tricky for most brands because they're mailing products to people and they don't know if they have access to compost. So I would say if you could find something, depending on what you're trying to create, this is possible sometimes, not possible sometimes, but if you can find something that's home compostable, that's great because then people who have a home compost can compost it or you could even like bury it in the ground and it will theoretically decompose. Um, but don't fool yourself that anything that is a bioplastic can, is any better really for the planet necessarily than a regular plastic when it's thrown in the trash. And I see this all the time on Instagram. People are like, don't worry, my straw is compostable. And I'm like, but you're throwing it in the trash. Um, so I think one of the big answers is more um, municipal composting. Like we have recycling, many of us have recycling and garbage services. There needs to be composting options, which my city, Denver, has, which is really amazing, but many cities do not. Um, Many cities do, so it's worth looking into, or like somewhere you could drop it off at a farmer's market. Um, Every city is different. Like in New York City, you couldn't put bioplastics at the drop-off in the farmer's market. It was only food scraps, so you really have to look into it. Um, In terms of recyclability, that's probably a better option because it's more accessible, but um, it just depends what you're using. So I mean, I I don't want to take up too much time going into all the different elements, but like plastic, like plastic is, we all know, or many of us probably know that plastic is really not recycled at this point. About 10% of plastic is recycled. It degrades with time. So every time it's recycled, it becomes flimsier and less um, able to be recycled in the future. So like something like a plastic cup is not going to make it very far um, and may not ever be recycled. Also, black plastic is not recyclable generally. Um, so black plastic? Like literally plastic that is the color black. Oh. Um, yeah, I know most people don't know that, but it's because they use like lasers in order to sort recycling um, and the black just ends up being 
kind of process as trash. So it might be technically recyclable if somebody's willing to like sort it out and figure it out. But for the most part, it's not recyclable. So if you're creating a plastic product, try not to use black plastic. Um, Glass is a really, glass and aluminum are great options. They're endlessly recyclable. I mean, they all come with pros and cons, right? Like glass is more likely to break. It's heavier. It has a larger carbon load when you're shipping it. So there's like, that's where this stuff drives me crazy. And I'm sure everybody, it's like, there's always going to be pros and cons. Um, But I would encourage you if you can um, package it in something that's reusable that's like a really beautiful option like like we did with the herbal gummies we we did like a a tin that they can you know I I came up with their marketing like 10 other ways to use this tin put your um chapsticks in it put your headphones in it like carry your supplements whatever and then you can kind of repurpose and keep that product out of the landfill so that's a, a very long but also very brief answer to that question um which is like almost most sustainability questions I get, which is like, there is no clear answer. And like, you kind of have to pick and choose. Um, But if it's like, also, I would just add, if it's something super local, like if you're selling something at the farmer's market and the farmer's market has a compost, like that's something to keep in mind. So it's it's thinking about where it's going to end up and who has access to what at the end of life. Yeah. Like you mentioned, I think that there's a big difference in terms of different products being recycled. Aluminum is it's worth so much when you recycle it. People are willing to, to pay a lot to have aluminum recycled because it does have such a good, um, I guess, like, regen. I don't, I don't even yeah, know how to it, say this. It like, doesn't degrade. Yeah, it doesn't degrade. Right. Whereas plastic um, and even things like, you know, polyester clothes and stuff like that, when they just, they decrease in quality each time they're recycled and reused. Yeah. And then I also wanted to touch on briefly when it comes to biodegradable materials that are also compostable, like bamboo straws, for example, there's a super cute little cafe and um, and it was compostable plastic that I got my latte in. But the straw was made out of single use bamboo. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, obviously, there's lots of problems in terms of the chemical processing of bamboo that I don't need to get into right now. But um, with that being said, what about things like that that are um, that are biodegradable as well? Is that any different than the bioplastic? Um, I'm not super an expert in this, so I don't want to speak incorrectly. But from my understanding, I think if I'm getting it right, biodegradable just means it will decompose, which could be over 500 years, you know, like something might decompose at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's better if you're using like when I was in Bali, they use like banana leaves as like plates and straws and things like that. Like that will break down in your backyard compost uh, much faster. Um, but we all know that like Oh, I don't want to make any assumptions. Many of us know, or you may know about the landfills that like even food that would decompose in your home composter doesn't decompose in the landfills very easily because it's stuck in plastic bags and it's compacted really um, incorrectly and um, not incorrectly, but it's not favorable conditions to breaking down. So like, you know, I have a home compost, I have to put in leaves and I have to turn it and aerate it and it gets to a certain heat and all of that. If you're just, you know, suffocating everything in garbage bags, nothing is breaking down and it's, it's not breaking down in a way that's favorable. It's releasing methane. So if it's going in the garbage, it's still a problem because it's still going to end up in a landfill and our landfills are not created to break down food. That's why compost is so great. So, you know, I think about, I think the stat, the last time I checked it was about a quarter of our landfills are 
comprise the food, um, which is really upsetting. And if that could shift into compost, I mean, I think composting is one of the best things you can do for sustainability because like home composting, because it's magic. I mean, you can take your garbage and turn it into something that's so beneficial for, for the planet. Um, and I mean, there's issues with like commercial composting as well, because who the heck knows if somebody threw in like a McDonald's burger that had chemicals in it too. So like, I might not want to put that on my garden, but it's still better than I think the alternative. So I think composting is really magical. Um, and I would encourage people in that direction. But yeah, if you're throwing whatever it is, if it's going in the, the trash, it's probably not decomposing in a favorable, in a favorable way. Yeah, I, it's important to keep that in mind in terms of, um, commercial composting like you said there's a lot of other things that goes into it like first you know pet waste you cannot compost in your home compost bin because it has to reach a certain temperature but if you I think you can do it in commercial bins but again that's something that you have to just look into but um yeah that's something that I think is is I never thought about the favorable conditions for even food waste before so that's interesting, and that's something that I am definitely going to keep in mind more and and think about as I encourage family members to get home compost bins. <laughs> and if you have one, maybe I'm just weird, but like I carry around like a stasher bag or a, some kind of you know Tupperware or whatever. And if I'm in my car or whatever, I mean I'm not going to take necessarily food scraps off my plate at a restaurant, but if I'm in my car, I'll just throw like an apple core, banana peel, or whatever in there, and then when I get home, I'll just. toss it in the compost so um i mean if you want to be really hardcore and like take home your food scraps from a restaurant good on you commercial composting really we can get that up and running then all these compostable bioplastics will actually be useful (laughs) but right now it's like there's so many people that are switching over to that without realizing like well maybe the plastic cup is in some ways better because at least it can theoretically be recycled versus like all those compostable cups going in the trash. And I think it's a major, major misconception at best, like ignorance from from coffee shop owners or whatever business owners and greenwashing at worst because people are like, well, it's compostable. And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter because nobody's composting it. So yeah, all these companies and all these like restaurants and stuff, they'll have compostable cups, but they have no compost. And it's so confusing. Yeah. I'm like, wait, 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 what do you want us to do with them? Yeah, I even had this conversation, like I was writing an article on bioplastics for USA Today and I was sitting at a coffee shop writing it and they had compostable cups and I went up to the barista and I was like, what are we supposed to do with these cups? And he was like, it's so stupid. I don't know why we have these cups. Like we don't have a compost here. There's nothing to do with them. And not to forget that like even it's great if you do have a compost there because like that's a good start if you have compostable cups. But like if you're getting a to-go cup, like you're probably not going to come back. I mean, Once again, like maybe you and I are the hardcore people that like goes back with our containers to Whole Foods or Sweet Greens or whatever and like drops them off. But most people aren't. They're taking them to go and throwing them in the trash when they're done. So, yeah, that's why I mean, like, like I live in Denver, as I said, but Boulder has we have commercial compost here like at home. But Boulder just has like compost bins throughout the city. Like you have a trash bin or a recycling bin. Like that's really what we need so that you could just take that coffee to go and throw it in the compost. I could go on for this about this forever, but yes, it is ridiculous. (laughs) Theoretically, we could get to a point in society where we would only need a recycling and a compost because there are just certain like unnecessary types of plastic and we can make those types of plastic compostable in a 
um, cost-effective manner. You talk a lot about mindfulness and obviously how being mindful in your daily life through plants, journaling, things like that is a very important aspect. But you also mentioned on your website, I think, about how businesses can be more mindful. So what does it mean to have a mindful business or how can a business be quote unquote mindful? Yeah, I mean, so I say my mission on this planet is to help people and um, in turn businesses be more kinder and connect, be kinder and connect, more connected to each other themselves and the planet in service of making the planet a safe place for all. So, I mean, to me, like businesses being mindful is like, if you look at ethical fashion, like paying their employees well, um, like a livable wage. And, you know, when we look at the anti-racism work, like paying all people equal wages um, and just like really being mindful of um, how, I mean, it's often about how you're treating the your employees. It's how you're treating the planet. Uh, what kind of like environment are you creating for your employees? I'm from New York. I have a very much like type A New York hustle mentality that I'm very actively working to unwind. But like, I, I think it's kind of crazy that everybody on the planet, okay, not everybody, many people on the planet work a 40-hour work week. Like, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what, whatever, it's like you have to show up and sit at your desk from nine to five when like not everybody is set up to work that way. I'm a really fast worker. So like, why do I have to sit there and like come up with new things to do or like pretend I'm doing things and really check Facebook? <laughs> and like, you know, like how do we just create environments that are mindful um, for your employees, the planet, whatever's around them. So I think it's just, um, it incorporates sustainability and incorporates social and environmental impact. Um, it incorporates equality, equity, um, so many elements. And I'm not really like going in depth or saying it too eloquently, but I think to me, it's just like, I, I consider everything I teach and do as intentional, intentional living, intentional business. How can we just make like really proactive, intentional decisions? And that doesn't have to mean like, always choosing less or always choosing something super serious because it's intentional. But it's just like, if I'm going to launch a new product, if I'm going to buy a new mug, if I'm going to hang out with my friends, like how can I just make sure that whatever I do is in service of the world I'm seeking to create, is in service of the way I want to show up in the world, is in service of, you know, supporting local businesses. Like th that's a good example. Like in a business, can you look at your vendors and say like, okay, right now we buy all of our coffee cups on Amazon. Like, can we buy them at a local store? Can we hire a local consultant um, or a person of color or whatever? Um, so just like really being intentional with all of those elements of your business and what impact it has, because um, I think there's too many people that like say they give 1% of their profits to a charity or a nonprofit and like think that they're a responsible business. And it's like, well, if you're giving 1% of your profits away, but you're still like using plastic coffee cups and um, like not paying women equal amounts to men, like your donations are not valid to me. Like if you're donating to like save the whales, but you still have plastic cups and you're making plastic products, like why don't you just take that money? I think that was really interesting. Like a few weeks ago when we saw all these companies like donating $100,000 to Black Lives Matter or these nonprofits, which is very important. And I don't want to undermine that, but it's like, well, could you take that money and do, and, you know, make sure that all your staff that are people of color are paid the same as your white staff. And can you hire a diversity and inclusion um, consultant to come in and like 
evaluate your business so that, you know, long term, this is not an issue that you're trying to like make up for and like donate for, but it's like actually something you're actively working to solve. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I mean about being mindful and intentional in business. I think donations will go a lot farther when your business practices reinforce the, the place in which your money has been donated to. Like if you're not treating your black employees fairly or like not paying them as much, and then you're donating to Black Lives Matter, like you're missing the boat. (laughs) <laughs> like, right. like that's the, that doesn't fix the problem. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And I also never thought about how the idea of mindfulness is very different for individuals versus businesses. So that's really interesting. That's a really interesting way of going about it and really thinking about, um, well, that in terms of the difference between businesses and individuals, but also employee mindfulness and making sure as a business that your employees are working in an efficient manner and in a manner that's conducive to a work-life balance. Without going into too much detail, because I want people to be able to take your online class and benefit a lot from it, and I don't want to take that information off of your online class, what is one of the most, and this is also a very, very big question, what is one of the most important parts of starting an environmentally related business, like an environmentally minded I think one of the most important things of starting, there's two things I'll say. One of the two most important things of starting any business is understanding your why and your mission, like what you're actually trying to accomplish. Like I said, a lot of people start with a what. They're like, I want to start a zero waste food delivery service or whatever. They come up with like an idea. Um, And I always encourage people and maybe sometimes force people to take a step back and say like, well, what are you really trying to achieve? And like, what change do you hope to see in the world? And that allows people to both A, know what they're working towards and B, have flexibility in pivoting. Because if you know what you're working towards and your zero waste food delivery service turns out to not be a business model you enjoy, a business model that other people are interested in, then you can just come up with another idea that's trying to get at that mission. So that's the first. And the second is to really, really deeply understand your customers and what they want and what they need. And I teach um, a methodology called design thinking, which puts empathy at the center of everything we create. So instead of coming up with an idea and trying to sell it to people, it takes the opposite approach, which is trying to really understand the people you're trying to serve, what their needs are, what their pain points are, um, and then building things that really, really serve them in a meaningful and deep way in mission of what you're trying to accomplish. So there's less waste, there's less convincing, there's, um, yeah, and there's like a real desire from people to engage with what you're trying to offer because it actually fills a need. Yeah. And you've also had great experience with that in terms of opening up this business that really didn't suit you and, um, and then ultimately finding something that really fitted your style and fitted your views, fit your, not fitted, (laughs) fit your views with, um, in terms of environmental sustainability. Yeah. My final question that I ask to all my interviewees um, before, you know, thank you so much for your time. I've truly enjoyed spending this hour with you. I wasn't expecting it to go nearly this long either. <laughs> so that is always a very good sign. Um, what's one issue with your interest in sustainable fashion once solved that you feel will fix a multitude of the issues that we face in the fashion industry? Um, I would say that it goes beyond fashion and it just it, for sustainability in general is just to 
take a deep breath and think before you buy anything and think, do I need this? And is there a more sustainable option? Um, That's true definitely about fashion. Do I actually need this? Am I buying it out of um, I used to shop a lot out of boredom, just like, oh, I have an hour in between like work and me and my friends for dinner. I guess I'll go there. And it's like, what can I replace that activity with? For me, it's like going to yoga. Great. Way more productive. Better for me. Better for the planet. And it's the same thing at the grocery store. It's like, well, if I need a snack, you know, I always say like if, you, if you're like hungry and you're walking by a supermarket like or a bodega or wherever you are, like can you – if you just pick up something and stop and think, do I actually want this? And is this the best – you know, is this – um, is there a more sustainable option? You might replace like a granola bar that's packaged in plastic with an apple, which is not hopefully. Um, so just little things like that, which I'm not saying like you have to be perfect all the time. Maybe you really want the granola bar and like that's a like, yes, I really want this. I'm intentionally choosing it. And like, I think there's a lot of power in intentionally making any decision, even if it's intentionally consuming plastic, because it at least takes away the mindlessness um, of consumption of waste that many of us have experienced. So that's my advice for just how to live a more intentional and less wasteful life in general is just to like take a a breath before you consume anything or buy anything and just, you know, decide if it really is something you want, you need, and if there's a a more sustainable option that you're equally as excited about. Very true. I think just knowing the impacts of what you're doing is the most important thing and really understanding because, you know, as a college student, I think lots of my friends just overlook the fact that their bathing suit was made with slave labor and oh my gosh like it was such a good price and I was at what cost and I'll add to that like I told you I don't buy fast fashion or whatever but at the same time like not everyone can afford everything so like if you really really want that bathing suit or if you're buying you know I bought I'm very grateful even though maybe I wouldn't do it now that I bought like four bathing suits at Old Navy like a year or two before I stopped shopping at Old Navy So it's like, if you're going to buy that, is that something that you really love and you're going to wear for as long as I've been wearing those bathing suits, which is probably like seven or eight years, and I'm going to keep wearing them because I don't want to replace them. Um, So it's like, that's again, where it's like really intentional, where it's like once in a while you can indulge in something that might not be the most sustainable, but like, is it really something you're really willing to invest in, in terms of like committing to that piece of clothing for a long time or, you know whatever. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. And I would just say that like, sometimes it's just about making that super intentional decision of like, I really, really need a bathing suit. I can't afford a $150 ethical one. So I'm going to buy this, but I'm going to like, I'm not just buying it. Cause I like really just want a pink bathing suit that, you know, to add to my collection. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately I would also, I always try and ask myself, is this something that I could get secondhand yes, for a better price? Definitely. I don't know. Bathing suits if that's something that you would want to get secondhand, yeah. I think, you know, it would have to be new with tags on it um, for me to even think about <laughs> trusting it. But yeah, I think that it's definitely, it's a decision. You really have to consider all the possible alternatives and all the possible impacts of the decision that you're making. Definitely. So yeah, I agree. Secondhand is great. You can buy way more expensive clothes for super cheap often. And with what's available online, you can like actually, you don't have to like go to the thrift store and like hope you find something you like. You could search for the brand that you like or whatever using Poshmark or whatever. So lots of great options. Yeah. I ended up, there's a, do you know the company Boyish Jeans? No. It's the super cute ethical jean company. And I found a pair of their shorts on Poshmark. Oh, that's so So that was very exciting. Yeah. And like Girlfriend Collective, I've gotten a pair of Girlfriend Collective leggings. 
from Poshmark. And so those are just the, when you're able to find sustainable fashion secondhand, it's, it's like literally the best. Yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) And like what I'll do sometimes, here's a tip for people. Like if there's a brand that I, that I theoretically like something, but I wouldn't buy it new from there, I might even go to the store and try it on. So I like know what my size is um, so that I can like scour Poshmark and be like, I really want these pants from the Gap. Now I know this is my size and I can like find them because sometimes that's when you're shopping online secondhand, it's not returnable and I don't think. And so that can be a little overwhelming. So that's another another tip for you. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I learned a lot. I hope the audience learned a lot. Um, and I got a lot of value from this. Likewise. So it was so you. nice to chat with you. That's all for this episode. Check out my Instagram in the show notes and feel free to leave me any suggestions for future topics. I'll see you all in my next episode.